the hardest things about being diagnosed with a mental illness before um, I had any reason to understand what a stigma was or really enough people in my life besides my parents to um, understand that there was any other way to think about mental illness other than it is something that simply is and it is neither good nor bad and has both good and bad side effects. Um, Bad side effects are, you know, commonly known with mental illness. The good side effects are commonly unknown where you have a unique perspective on the world, um, which is very, very valuable in a world where people more and more are thinking the same in their isolated communities, massive isolated communities, these giant echo chambers. Um, But what's really, really fascinating to me is... uh, having such a personal fascination with history, seeing a shift of mental illness go from first being labeled as crazy, and then they cut it up and categorize it into different forms of mental illness, essentially saying to the world, these are the underlying illnesses of what we see as quote-unquote crazy and how they manifest when not treated. This was world-changing. This happened back in the 1800s. It's why you know modern civilization started treating mental illness as diseases, as something medical, rather than thinking that it was a curse or a sign of, you know, possession and that the things that they were doing were actually worsening the individual rather than improving them. Um, Sometimes it could improve them. In fact, sometimes all people need to get better is to simply believe that they're better. And that um, is a, a very small percentage, but still enough to throw a wrench in the plan in history. Um, But we're all experimenting to improve the way we treat ourselves and we treat other people. And when I was young, my mother knew to question my behavior long before the internet told her to, long before constant communication and being able to peek in on everybody else's lives to say, wait, is my child not normal? Or why doesn't my child behave like that? Or why does my child behave like this when nobody else's does? All of these questions are asked at earlier ages than even my mother was able to ask just off of her own information, me being a second child, having a sibling with mental illness as well, led my mother to start to question things at an even younger age, going through, you know, everyone wanting to say it was ADD at the time, and then ADHD, and OCD, and then some people wanted to say it was Tourette's. My mother knew that was not the case, that 
being a, a place of personal experience for her. She knew to, you know, get rid of that option right from the get-go until eventually after an exhausting, almost decade-long search by the time I was about, you know, 12 or 13, she finally found something that fit better than the rest, but still broke down, I'd say, a majority of the time, having gone through at least a dozen medical cocktails over the course of the next decade after the diagnosis of bipolar, I switched from bipolar type 1 and type 2 pretty regularly. The biggest shift that made me switch was asking myself, how can I be more extroverted? I saw most of the people that had what I wanted in life were extroverted, and I was naturally introverted. So from time to time, when I wanted more friends, I knew it would be easier to do if I was extroverted. But even at the time, I didn't realize that introverted and extroverted were things. I just knew that the people that had more friends and could make friends were more outgoing. And it was exhausting for me to be outgoing. So I tried and tried and tried and practiced until eventually it was no longer exhausting. Until eventually I could recharge my energy doing extroverted things. I didn't have the limitation of believing I was introverted and that I didn't need to be extroverted. I simply wanted to be extroverted. So I tried to do extroverted things. This switched my my bipolar from type 1 to type 2. Every single time I chose to be more extroverted or stop choosing to be more extroverted. This was something that I should not be able to change type 1 and type 2 at, by that much, that little will actually. I also had rapid cycles that were off the charts for bipolar disorder. Um, but still, you know, all the experts in my life said it was bipolar. And I kept under that belief um, into pretty much all of my adult life until I started to question things more. I started to see the research coming out of nowhere about autism. So I spent a while looking into the solutions that could apply. I was starting up a nonprofit and trying to take different approaches in the world and understanding mental illness. I understood the value of people who see the world in a different way. And I don't believe that there are very many people who see the world more differently and more logically and more rationally than autistic people. In fact, they see it so rationally that they don't know how to handle the fact that they are absolutely logical and rational as a child. And our world is not governed by logic or ration. It's governed by feelings. So they have to learn to communicate with feelings. And this makes them break down and take a fit as a child would especially a child that is more wise because of their brain chemistry and how they can come to logical and reasonable explanations naturally in the way not even their parents can, their peers and their mentors, their teachers. This would be insanely infuriating to not understand why nobody else gets what you get so easily because they are governed by their feelings. 
This is something that I related to and had a ton of empathy for doing my research into solutions in code, solutions in marketing by studying autistic children and how they thrived in digital space and the way neurotypical people do not and figuring out how to reverse engineer what they do naturally in virtual space, but neurotypical people break down in digital space, especially talking about highly tense subjects like politics, uh, social issues, religion, um, all of the cultural differences, all of these things, neurotypical people break down in a way that autistic people don't online. So how do we reverse engineer what they do great so we can learn how to communicate more like them, like they want to communicate more like us offline? This was the endeavor that my nonprofit took. And in the effort, I realized that the empathy I had was not anything special in my capacity for empathy. But when I started applying the things that were working for these children, my communication improved. My honesty improved. And my self-confidence improved in ways that helped me to understand that the assumptions that I had, that the experts had, that my parents had, that were working a good percentage of the time we're now working 100% of the time. But I was no longer under the guise of an incomplete answer that had to be because other people said it had to be. Over the past year, I've come to understand this about myself and come to understand that our society is not set up to diagnose autism in anything other than children. In fact, um the very simple fact that what I'm doing is working now is reason enough for doctors to see no point in a diagnosis. What kind of imbalance that does that create when there is no need for a diagnosis because you have positive results? If a diagnosis is only needed when there are negative results then apparently the solutions are not the goal, the treatment is. This also creates a disparity of better diagnosis methods that did not exist 25 years ago, obviously, or else I would have been diagnosed pretty easily with a mother as diligent looking for answers as my own. But understanding now that there are a plethora of adults, just as many adults that I can see, that are high-functioning autistic, even low-functioning autistic, maybe not severely low-functioning, but low-functioning compared to some of the high-functioning, and realizing that we make up just as much of a po uh, just as much of the population as the children do, and realizing that this idea that there's a boom in autistic humans is is a false assumption. Really, we have a disparity between children that can be diagnosed and adults who will not be diagnosed. This creates a lack of hope. Not as much for the children. The children are going to be fine. The children are going to excel and succeed. 
The parents are the ones that see that there are millions of children like theirs and almost no adults. Nobody's pointing this out. So they put this together subconsciously. They see this as a huge epidemic because why aren't there more adults like this? So obviously this is new. This is not new. The autistic people in the past have gone on to be successful, average, mediocre, all even homeless all sorts of ranges you've had the most successful people people of the likes of einstein and steve jobs and benjamin franklin could very very have easily have been autistic and realizing that most of the average workforce that was totally okay sitting in a job for 30 years and getting that gold watch and not complaining being hyper productive not having any more ambition but the simple Rule following, those are all some part of the autistic spectrum as much as the visionary world changers. Realizing that autism has made up the backbone of society by either being the crazy ones that change the world like Steve Jobs, Ben Franklin, or Einstein, or realizing that they make up also the backbone of the workforce that just doesn't complain and does what's needed to provide for themselves, their family, and be a good employee. All of these things are staples of different types of autism. And I'm realizing that right now the parents, they need more hope. They need more hope of people who might think that autism is their thing. Even if they have no proper diagnosis, it is totally okay to share your message to give these parents hope that desperately need hope because my mother sought for hope for 18 years and she found it in a diagnosis that was I'd say on average less than half right whereas knowing a proper diagnosis should be a message of hope here are the tool sets here's the only place you need to look for tools for what will work for your child my mother sought that all through my life in childhood and then in adulthood it took me 10 years to find it on my own because she showed me that i shouldn't settle for the answers that we have today and to always look for better answers and that's how i eventually found something that made my life go from Less than 50% effective to 100% effective. I've done in six months what I didn't think was possible for me to do in six years. My life has fast-tracked in a way that is mind-boggling, that my doctors have confirmed is working and is real. And I am just blown away at how being wrong can feel so amazing. I want to share as much hope as I can simply because of this story that I've had happen recently. One of my closest friends, a father figure, a mentor, a guide, a brother, someone who has changed my life for the better, but also painfully was holding me back, as we all do for each other. I learned a way to let go and improve and go beyond what I was once capable of. And it was so earth-shattering 
to this brother's reality that after over a decade of friendship, of educating him on mental illness, that it was a very real thing. He grew up thinking that mental illness was synonymous with crazy. Therefore, mental illness does not really exist because he doesn't see crazy all that often. And craziness is fleeting, or some people are just full-on crazy that he doesn't really truly know. There are you know, remote people in some other part of the world that he will never meet, so he can judge individually in parts of, it, of their life that he is able to see. And I realized that he did not want to believe that I was mentally ill because he saw the part of me that wasn't crazy. But interestingly enough, when I started to understand who I was, this part of me that I had been burying because I was terrified that if I was honest about the way my mind worked, the way my mind looked at the big picture in the way that baffled most people and really confused me because not many people thought like that. And the ones who didn't were very judgmental of looking at the big picture. Most people don't want to believe in anything other than coincidence. They don't want to think that things are connected. Even if they believe in a God where they think God is in everything, but somehow the world isn't connected because... You know, if God is in everything, how could some things be... Con it's very, very contradicting. And what's interesting is as soon as I started to integrate, figure out who I was, have the confidence that I had been searching for for over two decades for my entire adult life, and it all be real and productive. This was the time when the education that I had given him on the realness of mental illness, and I was being honest about my life and my experience, backfired on him. And he had nothing left but to realize that the contradictions of his belief felt like a personal attack. And that's when I became crazy to him. And it was the most painful and heartbreaking thing I have ever gone through. Because the discoveries my organization has made of the differences in how the stigma manifests from 50 years ago, 100 years ago to now, it's the same. It's just different ingredients. No longer do we call people who are mentally ill possessed. No longer do we call people who are mentally ill crazy with no other terminology to use besides crazy. Now... It's anyone who thinks differently than us, which is the positive side of mental illness. Let me reattest to that. Anyone who thinks differently than what we are told is right or true is crazy. How is the world going to improve if no one is allowed to think different? The crazy ones are often the ones who change the world. And if we're villainizing anything that's different than us, we're never going to do anything but stay in the same spot. That's great if you think that society can never advance past where we are. 
that's not great. If you think we have to improve in society, that's a very contradicting ideal. And in the process of being honest and sharing my real thoughts, coming to terms with the fact that I had been lying to myself and everyone else around me about who I really was, what I really thought, in the dots that my mind was able to connect, but most people's aren't, and realizing that being honest would mean I would alienate myself. And I had to say to myself, the people who love me for me will listen. The people who love me for what they want to believe that I am and not who I am inside in my core, they will push me away and blame it on me. Blame me for pushing them away while they tell me unless I change back to what was killing me inside, they can never accept that I'm anything other but crazy. And this has been my painful reality, realizing that mental illness stigma has not changed over the past 200 years in any other way but a superficial one. We have not gotten better. We have only gotten better at hiding it as a society. This is a painful truth. But it is a reality. And I have stopped believing that it is a bad thing and started to realize it just is. And I can't turn it into a better alternative if I'm upset and angry because it's a bad thing. It just is. It is not their fault. It is not our fault. It is not the fault of anyone. It is the fault of everyone. And we all need to take equal responsibility. So that's what I'm doing. I'm done playing the victim. And I'm crazy enough to change the world. If you want to see more about how we're trying to change the world by going back to basics, redefining education in a way that can't be used for political gain or control or governmental gain or control or corporate gain or control or industrial profiteering or to line the pockets of a business owner or a government official to create a new, more ethical future at the core of human rights that we are starting to forget as a human society. To reestablish those by saying that we can create something new, an alternative, completely voluntary. And when it provides good results, more people will use it on its merit alone. Globally, without borders, without bias to who you are, where you live, what class, how much money you make, any of those ingredients, we can all get the best education through open source, crowdsourcing education in a place, a moneyless environment to truly educate and empower those around us who want to educate Make it easier to help those around us in a way that has never been attempted before. A new internet of education 
one that can't be corrupted by control, whether it's for power or profit. A shift in human consciousness. One away from stigma, one away from bias, one away from negativity. That's the vision we see. And what my core team of volunteers and everyone else who helps us along the way to volunteer their time, effort, or money has started to create a really, really interesting platform. A platform that is not a software, it is not a place, it is not a thing. It is a new way of thinking about how we educate without an ulterior motive in mind. Without an ulterior motive to make profit, to indoctrinate, to control, to influence, either with teaching things or choosing what not to teach. This will be a truly open source way so that nobody is left out because they're poor or they're in another country or the color of their skin or the color of their hair or their gender or sex. None of these things will go into place in a completely new way of educating humanity now and forever in a completely sustainable way utilizing interesting blockchain technologies, helping people know how to use them in a way that they don't have to even think about learning how to use They are just so easy to use. Not unlike what Steve Jobs did by turning the computer from an engineering hobby toy to something that we all instinctually know how to use. These tools exist. We're just making them so easy to use, you don't have to even realize that you're using a new tool. You'll just see that it's completely free in this new decentralized public service, decentralized cryptographic algorithms, the currency-less protocol for free education through capitalism. This is the reality that we live in. Most of us just aren't aware that it even exists yet. If you want to see more about what we're doing and examples of this protocol, this marketing slash psychological slash mental health slash education protocol in action, where it can be anything you want, more importantly, everything that we need, please check out libraryofalexandria.org. That's L-B-R-Y, library spelled L-B-R-Y of alexandria.org. You can always find our most important website at theeducationaldarkweb.com. Right now that points to libraryofalexandria.org, theeducationaldarkweb.com. Because the only way to remove darkness from our life is to shine a light on it. The only thing to make something dark less scary is to illuminate it and see what was there but was forgotten or hidden so that we can empower ourselves as individuals 
as families, as communities, and rise out of subjugation, slavery, indentured servitude, mastery to another, poverty. All of these things can be overcome with education. And even though none of our core team is doing this for a monetary return on investment, we all know that our future needs this, whether it's our children or grandchildren, so that they are not subject to the same mistakes we've been making over and over. Because our return on investment may not be monetary, but it is very real. It's an investment in hope. It's an investment in families. It's an investment in real education. Real, free education through capitalism, not through theft or taxation or to those who can afford it or those who can afford to live in a place where they can get it. This is borderless. This is global. It could extend beyond global. This is not what a lot of people want. This is what humanity needs. And we are willing to give up control of creating a new system of education that if we wanted to control it and wanted to profit from it, could be worth billions. But if we remove that aspect, it can be worth so much more. If you want to be a part of this, by giving your time, your services, your ideas, or even money, it's all up to you. Because the most important thing we need is attention. And however people are able to give that, we are open to it. We are already sustainable. This only takes time until it's completed. So please check this out at the educationaldarkweb.com or officially at libraryofalexandria.org. Once again, that's L B R Y spells library. Thank you for your time and most importantly, your attention. <laughs>